0: All right, so before I begin anything, I want to apologize. At 9 o'clock, at the end of the service, I was supposed to tell the 9 o'clock people that we were welcoming Michael and his family afterwards, and we had a code word and everything, coleslaw, to make sure I would, would not forget. And I forgot. So I am sorry. So if I forget at the end of the service, after the service today, we're welcoming Michael and his family over in the other building at the guest service there. So please come by to say, Michael. By the way, what a great job he did this morning, too. I realized listening to him this morning how refreshing it is to have someone else have a new take on what we say each and every Sunday morning. So, Michael, thank you. Thank you for a great job this morning. I'm so glad to be able to to work alongside of you. Um, My name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb, and I consider it a great honor this morning to come and spend time with you in this room and open up God's Word together and let Him teach us something new. Um, As has been said, we started a brand new sermon series last week on the book of Acts called On the Move. Did you enjoy last week? I heard Pastor Bill did a great job here in this room. And for the next nine weeks, we're going to be walking through the book of Acts and learning from the early church and how it experienced an explosion of God's movement that was initiated by the Holy Spirit and sustained by the Holy Spirit. And the reason we're doing this is not for a history lesson. It's because what God began then, he's still doing today. He's still at work today, and we're invited to him to join him in this movement. So the question is simply this this morning. I mean, do you want to see God move in our midst? Do you want to see God do amazing things? I do, I wanna see that happen. When I was a kid, um, my family, we had a hamster, and um, I feel like every family has to like that rite of passage, you have to have a guppy first or a couple and then you, then you get the hamster and then you move on from there. And so we had like the hamster phase. And so I had this hamster and he had a cage with like tubes he could run through and all kinds of fun stuff. And he was super cool. He would stuff his cheeks full of seeds. That was fun to watch. It was a really cute little thing. We'd hold him and whatnot. He bit a little bit, but he was a, a great pet. Um, but he had something that he would do in his cage that I always felt really bad about. Um, because if you have ever had a hamster before, you know you had to have like the hamster wheel, right? And we had a hamster wheel. It's very squeaky. So when he would run with his little hamster feet, that thing would just squeak like crazy. And he would run for miles, it seemed like, like for hours. Just go at it, run, run, run. A little hamster sweat, hamster marathon. And when you get done, I always felt bad because he would finish up on his, his hamster wheel and when he'd get off, he was in the same location that he was when he began. And I felt like after all of that movement, like all that effort, all of that moving forward, and to be in the same spot that you're in when you get back up, that's got to be depressing as a hamster. And I always felt a little bit bad about that. And the thing is, in our, in our modern-day church, I would argue we really experience the same kind of thing. In our modern-day church today, we have churches that are full of movement, full of stuff, like full of programs. But I'm afraid that many churches today, we have all this stuff going on, all these movements happening, but in the end, we don't really get anywhere. And I would argue that all of us who are sitting in these pews today, we're a microcosm of that. So for many of us, I mean, we are super busy. We do lots of stuff. We're on the hamster wheel of life, the rat race, whatever you want to name it. We're we're doing all these things. But in the end, for a lot of us, we don't really get anywhere. And the reason I'm excited about this sermon series is because I don't think that has to be the case. Like, I don't think our church has to have all kinds of movement programs and things. And in the end, just kind of stay stagnant where we are. I want to see our church move forward with the Spirit of God to be able to make a difference in this community and around the world. I want to see us as individuals welcome the Spirit of God into our lives that he might move us forward. So that as we make movement, as we do things, as we grow, we find ourselves in different places years in the future than we are right here, right now. That's the goal, to be on the move with God Now, to really understand the book of Acts that we're walking through right now, you have to understand that the book of Acts is really a two-part work, and it works in tandem with the book of Luke. So there's the book of Luke, one of the Gospels, was written by who? Do you know? Luke. Good job. So you can impress your friends at lunch today. Did you know the book of Luke was written by Luke? Boom. So, yeah, Luke wrote Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And originally they were a two-part work. And Luke lets us know in the first chapter of the book of Acts the purpose of the first book of the gospel. He says in one of the first verses, these are the things that Jesus began to do and teach. In my first work, I gave you that, Luke says, which would suggest that what he's writing right now in the book of Acts is this second part of the story. What Jesus began to do and teach, Jesus continuing to do and teach, but Now Jesus has ascended into heaven. And as the book of Acts begins, originally the name of Acts was the Acts of the Apostles. Because you see Jesus' followers, his disciples, who are now doing the things that he was doing in the Gospels. But really, as we go throughout the book of Acts, we encounter all kinds of different characters. People like Paul, and Peter, and Timothy, and Stephen, and Dorcas, there's a name for you. And Lydia, and others throughout the book of Acts. All the characters that we encounter, there's only one character who is there from the very beginning to the very end. And that is Jesus. He is present working through his spirit through the lives of each and every individual throughout the book of Acts. And here's the good news this morning. What took place in the book of Acts, God wants to continue to do today through people who are willing like you and me. Churches who are willing to be on the move with him and be a part of his movement. He wants to continue to do good work. I want to be very clear, as we walk through these weeks of the book of Acts, the book of Acts is not meant to be prescriptive for us. It's descriptive. You see, what the Spirit did in the book of Acts is not necessarily just meant to be plopped right here in 2023. The Spirit, though, is moving now in the circumstances we find ourselves in now, if we're open to hear Him and open to be on the move with Him. So, What Jesus handed the disciples at the very end of his earthly ministry, at the end of the Gospels, was something called purpose. Everyone say purpose. Last week we said a movement needs power, but a movement also needs purpose. Without purpose, a movement doesn't move forward. So what he gave the disciples was something to live for. Jesus gave the disciples something to die for. Their purpose was the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his life, death, and resurrection. And it awakened within them a fire that was fanned to flame by the Spirit of God so that the church, the early church, was dedicated to offering this transformative power to all people, starting in Jerusalem all the way to the very ends of the earth. Here's what I believe with my whole heart this morning, and to be truthful, I would not be doing this today if this was not true. I believe Jesus is the answer to every question. I believe Jesus is the healing for every wound. He is the freedom for every bondage. And this is something that the early people in Acts, the early church, believed with their whole hearts. And it's evident by their work. So good news travels fast, they say. And it's exactly what happens in the book of Acts. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see the Spirit of God poured out on the disciples. And we read about this, and Dr. Bill preached about this this last week. It's the power for the movement of God. But by chapter 3, we actually see for the first time a miracle take place through people named Peter and John. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they continue to do what Jesus was doing in the Gospels. So in the story in chapter 3, Peter and John are walking along and they hear someone call out to them. There's a man who's been lame from birth. He's been unable to walk from birth. And the Bible says that Peter and John walk over to this man. And as they walk over to him, they give him his greatest need, which is not just healing but also Jesus. So this man becomes healed, they offer him Christ, and instead of receiving praise for the miracle that takes place, instead they are pulled in for questioning. So the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, pull them in and begin to answer, ask them questions. And it's here where it is revealed they have a very clear vision, mission, and purpose that is driving their life. So here's what happens. Here's how Peter responds in Acts chapter 4 after the questioning, verse starting in verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become now the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind with which we might be saved. When they saw the courage, the boldness of Peter and John, and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men must have been with Jesus. You notice the boldness in this story. They're questioned for what took place. And Peter essentially says, listen, if you want to know why this man stands before you now, healed, if you want to know why we did what we did by going to him and and, and meeting his need, there's only one reason. It's very clear, he says, it is Jesus. That's it. It's, It's the way of salvation, rescue, and healing. It is Jesus. And then what Peter does is he quotes an Old Testament passage from Psalm 118 by saying, the stone you builders rejected has now become The cornerstone. Now, this I think is essentially Peter's way of saying this is our purpose for everything. If you want to know why we went to this man and did what we did, if you want to know why we're doing what we're doing, it is because of this. There was a stone that was rejected by the builders that has now become the cornerstone. Now, to understand what Peter's saying here, you have to understand how construction took place at that point in time. We build differently today than we did then. What he's talking about is oftentimes when someone was building a building or some kind of structure, they would start first with a large stone that was called the cornerstone. It would literally go at the corner of the building, and it had to be placed perfectly. Because if that stone was not placed perfectly, every other stone was oriented to and positioned by the cornerstone. So if you have a cornerstone that's off, everything else will be off as that building is constructed. But Peter says Jesus is the cornerstone. Meaning all of our lives is oriented around him. All of everything that we do and say is positioned around him. So Peter and John said, you want to know why this took place? It's because Jesus is the priority. He is our purpose for living. He is the cornerstone on which everything is laid. So Jesus is the cornerstone for Peter and John. But I would argue that we have the same, the same message, the same reason, the same purpose that they had. I mean, what if we saw Jesus in the same light that Peter and John saw Jesus—that He's not just an add-on, that Jesus is not just something we do on Sunday mornings because we have nothing else to do? Listen, I would love to go to Waffle House right now at eleven (laughs) thirty. Y'all want to go? I mean, there's many other things we could do with our life, but if Jesus is the cornerstone, the very purpose for our being, the reason we get up in the morning, this is why we've gathered. He is our purpose. Now, here, here's my conviction this morning. Their purpose that they had, we share today. What Jesus was doing then in the Gospels and then in Acts, I believe he wants to do today. And we have the same message to share. The method has certainly changed from then till now, but the message never has. It's Jesus, He is the way of salvation. We've give, been given nothing else for salvation other than the name of Jesus Christ. So in my experience, one of the most dangerous aspects of what's creeping into the church today is people without purpose. I would argue that many who come on a Sunday morning lack a purpose for living, a reason for for doing what they do or not doing what they do. And when we lose purpose, something happens. We end up giving ourselves to lesser things or dangerous things. We waste time. We waste resources. We're vulnerable to sin. We're vulnerable to spiritual missteps. There's a lot of reasons that I think the church has lost this purpose for our lives. But the biggest one that I want to speak to today is very, very simple, and it affects all of us. And If you feel like I'm stepping on your toes, it's because mine were stepped on first, okay? And it's this. One of the reasons that we lose purpose is because we are so in love with comfort. We love comfort, don't we? I mean, anything that's comfortable, we embrace. In 1928, there were two cousins from Monroe, Michigan, who invented a chair that has become an American icon. Okay. What? Y'all get the punchline already? Right? Okay, 1928. <laughs> Anyways, they, they created this chair. It was a relaxing chair that c- contoured to a person's body made of wooden and fabric. And this chair became known as the Lazy Boy Recliner. I don't want you to feel judged if you have one. I'm just telling you a story. So, the Lazy Boy Recliner in 1928 came out. Did you realize that annually now, Lazy Boy makes $2.8 billion? Billion dollars selling recliners. And if you ask yourself, how does a company make that kind of money each and every year selling recliners? It's very simple. People love to be comfortable, we love it. The name says it all, doesn't it? I mean, our culture is obsessed with comfort. The cardinal sin in the Western world seems to be inconvenience or distress of any kind. We see it all over the news. We see it in schools all around us. If we're inconvenienced, we feel like it's the gravest disaster ever. There's a reason why we have apps on our phone that we can order food from a grocery store and have it brought to our front steps. I did it yesterday. I'm just telling you that it's a thing. There's a reason why we have Netflix so we can watch what we want to watch on demand when we want to watch it. There's a reason why we spend $2.4 billion a year on recliners. And perhaps there's a reason why the modern day church today struggles with a membership who is not giving, not serving, and not gathering regularly. And simply put, it's because of comfort. We choose it first. It would be hard to read the Bible and come to the conclusion that to be a disciple of Jesus ought to be comfortable. In fact, I would argue if you read the Bible at all, you have to conclude that following Jesus is actually very difficult. It's actually uncomfortable. It calls us to places that we don't want to go to. It calls us to honesty that hurts. It calls us to sacrifice that we don't want to give. The Bible is uncomfortable, but comfort is a silent killer. It woos us into complacency. But here's the thing this morning. and Here's why I think this message is so important today. I would give up comfort for purpose any day. If it meant I had to give up being comfortable to embrace a God-sized calling on my life, I'll do it. If if being uncomfortable means that I get to experience the fullness of what God has called me to, I'll do it. I'll give it up in a heartbeat. Just a few weeks ago, I sat down over some ramen noodles um, with a student who grew up in our program here at the church. His name is Justin Bachnight. And Justin grew up within our program as an amazing kid, and recently he and his family, his new wife and their new child, have been serving in South Africa as missionaries with YWAM. They had some visa issues and had to come back to the States, and so we were grabbing dinner before they were trying to figure out the next steps to be able to get back to Africa. So we're sitting there eating together, having a great time catching up and stuff. And I remember saying to him, hey, listen, Justin, like, I know you guys want to go back, but I know of some jobs that are really great. I mean, they, they pay well. There's, there's great ministry opportunities. Like, you could totally stay here close to family. And, and I remember very kindly, he was like, no, no, we can't stay. Like We have to go back. We know this is what God has called us to. We know it's hard, figuring out visas, raising support, doing all the things. We know it's difficult, but we know we have to be in South Africa. That's where God has called us to. That is our purpose for this season. And so as a good past youth pastor, pastor of his, I was like, you're right. You should should totally go then. That's exactly what you should do. But even I get so used to comfort that that's my first go-to. But I was reminded by him that we can't live life just for comfort. We have to live for purpose. I believe all of us this morning have a call on our life. All of us have a purpose for which we live. And some of us are yet to discover it. So my big question is this, how do we receive a calling then? How do we receive the purpose that God has for us? If it's true that we all have one, how do we discover that? And I think we see it actually take place a little bit later in the book of Acts. After chapter 4 in Peter and John, in Acts chapter 13, we find ourselves in a place called Antioch. Now Antioch is a very important city within the story of Acts because it's the location where the first term Christian was ever used. It is ground zero for the gospel being sent out. It's ground zero for it being launched into the world. And God's plan to take the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, as we talked about last week, it's taking place through Antioch. And so in Acts chapter 13, you have this group of people who have come together, they're meeting together, and the Bible says that they're praying and they're fasting to hear from God. Like, God, what is your purpose and your plan for for these men's life? What are you wanting to do? Here's what Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3 says. It says, Now in the church of Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaen, and Saul. And verse 2, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Do you hear purpose there? Set these two apart because I have something for them to do, the Holy Spirit says, to be sent off. And then it says this, verse 3, So after they fasted and prayed, they placed hands on those two, and they sent them off to ministry. It's the beginning of an incredible missionary journey throughout the rest of the book of Acts. It begins right here in Acts chapter 13. So the simple answer, really, that we see here in 13 is this. If you want to hear about God's call or purpose for your life, you have to make space for God to speak. That's what's taking place in Acts chapter 13. Let's just be honest. We're not very good at making space for God to speak, and I'm the first offender. We find other things to do. We get busy with something else. We don't slow down enough to open our hearts and minds to God to say, God, what do you want from me? What's your purpose for my life? Like, why do I get up in the morning? Why do I give myself to and in this story, in Acts chapter 13, they are spending time praying and fasting. Now, fasting is something that we read about a lot in the Bible, but it's a, bit, a little bit uncommon within our culture for people to fast even regularly. But fasting is very simply going without food or something else, denying yourself something as a way of zeroing in and focusing in on prayer to hear from God. So it's not much different than if you were, when you were in college, if you've not gotten to college yet one day, you'll have to study hard for a test. Some of y'all are like, never did it. But if you have to study hard for a test... You have to say no to friends, no to movies, television, all the other things that you could do because you have to focus to pass this test. Y'all should have tried that probably. But this is what's happening in this story. They want to know, God, what have you called us to? It's clear that you're on the move. We see what you're doing in the book of Acts, and we want to be a part of it. So they fast, and they pray And the scriptures say that initiated by the Holy Spirit, there's a prompting in the case of Barnabas and Saul for them to go and begin ministry. There's divine interaction and there's a purpose that comes forth in these two men's life. So often I believe that the purpose of God, when we give him space to speak to us, we find that we have given a purpose and a call based around one of two things. Either something that we are passionate for or potentially something that we're passionate against. So you have to ask your question, what am I passionate for? What am I passionate against? Maybe that's a calling or a purpose God has for me. I'll give you an example. We read later in the book of Acts that there's a man named Paul who begins, he actually wrote most of the New Testament, but he becomes a major player starting here in verse 13, chapter 13 into the rest of the book of Acts. And this man Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is passionate to see his fellow Jews come to trust that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And so we see from Paul's life, the Spirit awakens him, within him a deep desire to do whatever it takes to share the good news of Jesus with his brothers and sisters. This man is unstoppable. He abandons all comfort for the purpose that God has called him to. We read later on in one of his letters in 2 Corinthians, he tells us about all that he's gone through to fulfill his purpose. Here's what he says, 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 11, here's what Paul writes. He says, Are they servants of God? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger in the sea, danger from false believers. He's told you he's been in danger Verse 27, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have, been, I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I have faced daily the pressures of my concerns for all the churches. When I read that, I'm like, why, Paul? I would have been done at the first thing. You start pelting me with stones, I'm probably finished. But Paul says, I've gone through all of this. He's faced all of it. And you have to ask the question, Why? And I believe Paul goes through all that he goes through because he is so zero-focused on his purpose that God has called him to. You see, for Paul, there is no room for comfort when people's very souls are at stake. So if that means he has to face all of these things, he does it. Paul's intense passion for others and for the, the good news of Jesus drives him in a powerful way. He's passionate for something. So what are you passionate for? Like, what do you care about? What moves you? Do you care about kids in our community thriving or or students growing? Maybe it's because you care about people in India or Nigeria or Liberia or other places having health care or food to eat or a chance to hear the gospel. What do you care about? Is it orphans? Is it widows? The homeless? Those who are in grief? The Spirit might be inviting you to respond and to move away from comfort and step into this purpose to be able to make a difference. That's what happened with Paul. And I believe that's what God wants to do with us as well. So maybe something you're passionate for this morning is the very headwaters of the purpose that God has for you. But the truth is, we can also find a purpose from something we're passionate against. Something that we look at and feel like that is not the way that it should be. Something is broken here. Things should not be this way. That might be the place we find our purpose. Years ago, we took a group of high school students to Florida to a camp called Big Stuff. And we were there for a week at Big Stuff. We played on the beach. We played volleyball. We heard great messages, worship. We ate food together. It was a really, really fun time. And during one of the services, some folks from Big Stuff came out on stage and began to share about how Big Stuff was partnering with folks in Africa and drilling wells there. And they were drilling wells because there was people in Africa who were dying because they didn't have clean water. I mean, children who were dying because they didn't have clean water. And so they shared all this, and they got done with the presentation. Everybody kind of clapped their hands, and they walked off, and we came back to Lexington. And I remember being back for just a few days when all of a sudden there was a group of like five high school girls that had gone on the trip who walked into the church, and they came up to our office, and they like, listen, we don't think we can go back to just doing life normally after what we've heard. And so as good youth pastors, we're like, well, I mean, like, What do you want to do? Like, well, we we want to do something about the wells in Africa. We want to put wells in Africa. So we said, okay, well, that... Sounds a little bit daunting, but we'll help you however we can. What would you like to do? And so these girls decided that they wanted to create a ministry, an organization called H2O, Help to Others. Get it? H2O, water? Anyway, so they created this little organization. They said, we're going to make T-shirts. We're going to sell them at fifth quarter. And then we're going to do other things to raise money. Vacation Bible School partnered a few times. And sure enough, after years of hard work and this purpose, these girls had dreamed up on their own to make a difference. There are wells in Africa today that are attributed to those high school girls who decided they wanted to make a difference. That's incredible. That should challenge us. That high school girls who are only usually worried about prom or dances or cheerleading or sports said we can't go back to all these normal things because there are people in the world who are dying and we think we can do something about it. So what are you passionate against? What do you think is broken in the world? What do you think needs to be changed? You see, we read in the Bible, there are multiple times where we read about God himself who who is passionate against something. In particular, in the book of Exodus, we see God who is passionate against his people who are enslaved in Egypt. Here's what it says in Exodus chapter 3. The Lord said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Pretty good, huh? And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 10, so now go, Moses. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You see, God was passionate against his people in suffering. And after 400 years, he goes to Moses and says, Moses, you'll be the one who will go and free them. If you will go and be on the move, I'll use you to change things. So what are you passionate against? What do you want to see change? Some people call this a holy discontent. Looking around the world and recognizing that things are not as they should be. That what we're waiting on Jesus to come and do is to restore all things. And perhaps Jesus is waiting on us to be a part of that work. So Justin found it in South Africa. These girls found it at a summer camp. God saw it in the people in Egypt. And I've seen it growing up my entire life. One of the reasons that I'm standing here today before you is because I believe that when I was in college, my freshman year of college, I decided there was nothing I could give myself to that is more important than ministering to students. I was playing football at the time, about an hour and a half from home in Indiana. I was enjoying every minute of it, but I just knew I could not stay here when there was this call on my life to make a difference in the lives of students. So I moved to South Carolina. I knew one person here in the whole state and started fresh. But I met a guy named Jeff Kersey. I became an intern at a place called Mount Horeb. And 19 years later, wow, um, I'm standing here today all because there was something that I could not stand to watch continue. That There were students who were suffering in their schools, and their homes, from a media that bombards them, from friendships that go awry, from everything else in between. I wanted to be a part of making that right. So what makes you angry? What needs to be fixed? The fact that there are children in Lexington One schools who go, hungry, go to bed hungry in our community each night that there are people who are dying in boe liberia right now because of preventable diseases that racism is still a part of our community that there are people who are addicted to alcohol and drugs in our own backyard maybe that anger could be turned into your purpose that god wants you to be a part of making a difference in some of the most unhappy people i have encountered in my life are people who have no purpose cuz they have nothing to live for they have nothing to live for other than a paycheck or to watch some show, spend time with friends, when there are bigger, more important things that God wants to use your life to do. This is what God has called us to. The work he started in Luke, he continued in Acts, and he's doing it still today. But here's a very key, important thing today. Not everyone is called to South Africa. Not everyone is called to ministry. Not everyone is called to Liberia. But everyone is called to something. It might be your family. The people you live in the same house with. It might be people in this neighborhood, in this community, the children in our own church, the youth in our own church. Everyone has a purpose for which you were created and planted on this earth for. Wouldn't you love to find out why? And join God on the move. There's one element that I want to talk about at the very end here that shows up in Acts chapter 13 that I think is very, very important too. In Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, we read it earlier. It says this, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3, So after they fasted and prayed, they placed hands on them, and they sent them off. See, the placing on of hands within Scripture, it was always a symbol or an act that indicated public recognition of call and purpose for individuals. So as Paul as, as Saul and Barnabas left from this place in Acts chapter 13, they weren't going by themselves. The community was going with them in support. They believed in their purpose. They believed in their call, and they blessed it. Whenever you feel like you've found some sort of purpose for your life or some kind of call on your life, it would be important to run it by people who love you and who care for you. To be able to come and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. This is on my heart. If you look around this ministries of this church, almost every ministry that's a part of Mount we were not started by pastors. It was started by people. It was started by people who saw a need and decided they wanted to get involved. But it was run through the filter of community. What do you think about this? In America, we are such individualistic kind of thinking people that we don't think in community very often. And so we think if we have an idea, we'll just execute it ourselves. We'll get the glory for it, and we'll do it ourselves. That's not how the Bible works. The example that we have all throughout Scripture of God making the world right again is actually done in tandem, actually within a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, working in community with one another. So whatever it is that God has called you to, whatever purpose you have, run it through community. There was a man uh, in July 2nd, 1982, a man named Lawrence Richard Walters. And this man uh, made a homemade craft, and he dubbed it the Inspiration One. It was a flying machine. Um, What Lawrence Richard Walters later became known as Lawn Chair Larry did was he took a lawn chair in his backyard and 45 helium-filled balloons, and he attached them to his lawn chair. He took a BB gun with him, and his plan was to float up into the air, and as he got too high and was ready to come back down to earth, he would shoot those balloons and slowly come back down to earth. Now, this is a true story. Lawn chair Larry went 11,000 feet into the air in a lawn chair. (laughs) with helium-filled balloons, so much so that he floated near LAX airport and they shut the airport down because of a man in a lawn chair 11,000 feet in the air. He began to shoot balloons and and come back down to the earth, but he got tangled in some power lines and eventually he was rescued. And there were some reporters who asked him, Larry, why did you do this? And Larry's simple response is, well, you can't just sit there. Which I guess is true. But I just wonder, like, when Larry had this idea... What if he just would have gone to just a couple people and said, hey, listen, I'm thinking about this lawn chair. I've got 45 weather balloons. I, I would hope somebody would be like, Larry, I don't think this is a good idea. This doesn't sound fitting for you. This doesn't sound safe. Maybe there's something else. This is important. I was just ordained two weeks ago. It was a seven-year process for me. There was many things that I went through, hoops that I jumped through, if you will, this church looked at me and said, we believe in the ministry that God has called you to. We want to support that. There was many people that I went through along the way because I believe that real purpose for our lives is confirmed in community. When God calls us to something, we can take it to people who love us and care for us. And say, What do you think? Maybe they'll join you. Maybe it'll make it a reality. There's been a lot of people throughout human history who've done a lot of things in the name of Jesus and caused a lot of harm. Those are not the kind of purposes that we want. We want what God has called us to. So what kind of world would we live in if every person was willing to give up comfort to receive the call of God on their life? What would Mount Hora be like? What would our community be like if if all of us woke up each morning with a purpose that was bigger than a paycheck and a job and everything that we do each and every day because we believe that we are part of something bigger, a movement of God that we're invited into? So this morning, I want to invite us to do exactly what happens in Acts chapter 13. I want to invite us to just make some space to hear from the Spirit of God. So I want to invite you in just a moment just to pray. Just eyes closed together. We're going to just open our hearts and minds to hear from the Lord this morning. God, what, what do you want me to do about the passion that I have for something or against something? What is my purpose? Let's pray together. So, Father, we come before you right now, just like this group of people in Acts chapter 13 did, believing and trusting that your spirit is at work today as much as it was then. And we ask, God, that you would awaken us, our hearts and our minds, to the things that you have called us to. Give us a purpose, God, that's bigger than ourselves. Empower us by your spirit to fulfill it. And, God, help us to be able to empower one another to be a part of really great things. So Lord, would you just, in this quiet moment, speak to us. Reveal to us how we can make a difference in this world. purpose might be found as close as a ministry in this church. Our purpose could be found in someone within our family. Our purpose could be found by some kind of need in our community or some kind of need around the world. But God, we're willing. If you'll go with us, God, we're willing. so this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity. This is not for show. This is just a chance that sometimes it takes the first step to actually follow through with what God has called us to. But if you feel like this morning, or maybe you've known for a while the purpose that God has for you next, I just want to invite you to stand wherever you are in this room. Would you just stand? If, if you feel like you know the purpose God has for you and you want to do it, I want to pray for you. So just boldly, if you just stand up wherever you are. Don't worry about anybody else around you. If you know what God's calling you to, just stand. As we pray, if you see someone that's standing somewhere nearby you, I just invite you just to reach your hand out toward them. We're going to agree with them and bless them that God would see it through. God, thank you for these individuals who have said to you just by standing, that they, they sense your call, God. They sense your purpose for their life. And Father, we ask that you would fill them with your spirit to be able to fulfill that very thing. God, would you call people into ministries? Would you help them create new things? Would you help them to be blessings to those around them? God, thank you for the way that you move. Thank you for your spirit that's available to us today. Thank you for young people, God, who are willing to receive the call to take this gospel forward. So, Father, I pray that right now these folks would just have a deep sense that you are with them and that we, that we bless them as they go forward. We pray there would be people that would be impacted because of what has happened this morning in the years to come. So, God, we love you. We need you today. It's in your name that we pray. And everyone together said,